From deep in the heart of the swamp, this is Gator Tales, the official podcast of the Florida Gators. Gator Tales is brought to you by UF Health, the official healthcare provider of the Florida Gators. Welcome to Gator Tales. I'm your host, Adam Schick. This is our 200th episode, and we're celebrating the mark in style by venturing into the past, present, and future of Gator athletics. To get us started, FloridaGators.com senior writers Chris Harry and Scott Carter break down the up and downs for men's basketball, Mike White's 100th win with the orange and blue, a huge challenge forthcoming against Auburn, the latest Gator connections to jump on the coaching carousel, the season debut of gymnastics, and when the fine line between fair and foul is crossed in the PAT. Then, All-American safety Ahmad Black joins us to reflect on his career with the Gators a decade removed, explain the origins of the Gator standard, and lay out life after football. But first, stop me if you've heard this before, but it was another roller coaster week for men's basketball. After a surprising loss at Missouri, the Gators had to get their act together to come home and take on Ole Miss, a test they passed with flying colors in Mike White's 100th win with the program. As they prepare to welcome a top 10 but no longer undefeated Auburn, we began our roundtable by asking Chris to put the weird week in perspective, especially as it relates to Mizzou. Yeah, no sooner does Missouri uh, torch the Gators with an epic shooting performance do they go to Mississippi State uh, Tuesday night and get drummed by like 30 points. Uh, and the two guys who were like 70% between the two of them, the two Smiths uh, from Missouri, end up being like four for 21 or something like that. So those kind of games happen. And this college basketball and certainly college basketball in the 2019-20 season is uh, something that is uh, pretty ridiculous uh, in terms of in terms of predictability or lack thereof. I mean, we'll get back to the Gators in a second. Let's talk, let's just Missouri, Missouri beat Illinois on December 21st. Uh, Illinois beat Purdue by 26 last week. Purdue beat Michigan State by 29. Uh, over the weekend and Michigan State beat Illinois by 20 a couple weeks ago so uh, there's this circular logic that just doesn't work but uh, to get back to your initial question you know Ole Miss came in here they didn't have Brian Tyree uh, who was the fourth leading scorer excuse me fifth leading scorer in the SEC at the start of the week guy who's averaging 26 and a half points a game in two SEC games Florida got off to a good offensive start then kind of fell back a little bit on defense then kind of things kind of evened out and over the course of the game florida you know holds them to 55 points they went 71 55 uh keontae johnson had a much better performance uh than at missouri where he got into early foul trouble uh the offense just uh, uh moved better but you know Ole miss's defense allows that to happen missouri's doesn't every team is different missouri's calling card is uh the manner in, in which they guard and defend and they they made things very difficult on florida even though florida i think in the game made a uh, 10 or 11 three-pointers um, but, uh, that was no match for what Missouri was able to do, but yeah, you needed, you need to get back on track, needed to win at home, you know, three and one in the sec so far, they haven't, they haven't played in the upper echelon teams, but you needed to care, take care of the business with the opponents that are in front of you. Uh, they were able to do that again, Keontae Johnson, good, Kerry Blackshear, good, Andrew Nemhard, good, good win, uh, for the Gators. And I'm sure you're about to ask me. Good win from Mike White, who won his 100th game uh, on the Florida sideline. 
That is true, but see, first I have to keep you on your toes, so I'll ask you something different before we get to Mike White. As far as we're tracking the growth of this team, the maturing process, how critical was it for them to have the game they did against Ole Miss immediately following what happened at Missouri? With as many young players as as you have, a freshman, you know, all freshmen and sophomores, and Kerry Blackshear Jr. were on that trip because Dante Bassett didn't make that trip. You know, they win a couple games, including a, a hard-fought South Carolina game on the road. They're two and zero in the SEC. They're going to Missouri, which they look at the they look at the standings. They're zero and two. They probably watch a bunch of tape. They got a couple guys scoring eleven points a game. Not a you know probably on paper, not a lot to be afraid of. But that's not how the real world works. And these guys sometimes you got to find that out the hard way. And uh, I wrote a story in the setup to the Ole Miss game about the shoot around at Missouri. How Mike White, you know, he had to stop it and scream at his guys because they weren't focused now having said that i you know whether it's mike white or billy donovan i i've seen great shoot arounds and in big losses i've seen bad shoot arounds and in big wins that's not necessarily a, a predictor for how the game is going to go but i think it does kind of speak to maturity um sometimes you got to find out the hard way that you know you do need to have your level best in terms of preparation and readiness and florida didn't have it against missouri that was obvious they were better uh, in the run-up to the to the Ole Miss game. Um, and again, uh, Ole Miss severely undermanned. Not only Bree and Tyree, but their starting power forward didn't make the trip due to a, a coach's decision, probably some disciplinary issues back home. So that was a game they had to win. It was a game they were supposed to win. Uh, they won it by 15 points. Uh, I don't think any, they're going to do any patting on the back for that game because uh, you know, Ole Miss is going to struggle to score uh, uh, as long as Bree and Tyree isn't in the game. So, Again, take care of business, three and one, and a lot of basketball left to play. Now that you answer that question for me, I'll bring you back to the Mike White 100th victory. You know, it's interesting. Coaches hit milestones all the time. And, and to a man, they almost always say, well, it's not about me. It's about the players. And they say they don't care about it. But you get the sense a lot of them do. And, and be, it, it is ego driven. I mean, with Mike White, I honestly believe that he, A, did not know, and B, doesn't really care about the accomplishments as they relate to him. But despite that, can you just talk about the significance of it and in some historical context, too, especially as you compare it to other Gator coaches? Well, you know what? He won his 200th game as a coach two games before at South Carolina, and you're right, he didn't know it. Uh, he was aware, I think, of this, and uh, it was one of the last questions asked of him in the post-game press conference. And yeah, it's something It's cool. It's not why I'm in it, but it, you know, he did immediately start speaking about the fact that he has really, really good players and he's at a really, really good place that has a chance to make him successful. And, um, as far as historical context, Adam, uh, you know, he did it in 158 games. It took Billy Donovan 154 games. Uh, you know, people will say, well, Billy Donovan did it. Uh, uh, and, and, and nobody's Billy bit bigger Billy Donovan fan than I trust me. Cause I was here, and saw the program he took over, which uh, Rick Pitino uh, painted as uh, bankrupt of talent, uh, was how Rick Pitino put it when Billy first got here in 1996. And, and the program was. Lon Kruger did not leave him a good situation. Um, he had a couple losing seasons and then won his 100th game in the fifth season. Uh, again, 154 games. Mike White wins his 100th game in the fifth season, took four more games to do so. I think it's it's entirely fair to point out that back then, Florida wasn't playing the non-conference schedule they're playing these days. Uh, and and frankly, it's not even close. So uh, it's it's been a tough go. Uh, uh, did Mike White in, inherit a good situation? Uh, I'd say yes. But we can also talk about the fact that he inherited the a roster that had gone 16 and 17 the year before and, and you know, the only losing season of the previous uh, 
I think 19 years. Uh, or 17 years or something like that. So um, fifth coach in history to get to 100, got their second fastest behind Billy Donovan. I think uh, if he wins five more games, he'll move past Long Kruger, who I think won 104 games while he was here. So uh, 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 more power to him. But again, I mean, that's a ball. They'll paint the number on it. He'll put it on a shelf somewhere. He's not going to sit there and uh, and fawn over that. There's a lot of work to be done, but I think he's to be commended. And hopefully they'll... Uh, trot that ball out and hand it, hand it to him uh, for the next home game, which is an awfully big one this weekend against Auburn. As far as the barometer goes, this game is going to be really, really important to fans, to, to everybody around the team, to the media that cover them. What is your sense of where Florida is in terms of readiness to take on an opponent of this caliber? Well, it's going to be really, really hard. If they play any remotely close to the defense they played against Missouri, they're going to get destroyed. Because uh, Missouri had too many open threes, and this is an Auburn team that is uh, that thrives on that. They're going to make extra passes. It's a drive and kick team that thrives on three point shooting. Um, it's also the oldest team. Uh, this is all Ken Palm metric. I'm not making this stuff up. This is they're the oldest statistical team in the SEC. Florida is the youngest statistical team in the SEC according to Ken Palm metrics. Teams battle tested. Went to the Final Four last year. Um, has a couple guys that are NBA bound. Uh, they have a couple freshmen. They got one of them by the name of Isaac Okoro, who is awfully, awfully good. They got Austin Wiley. Uh, they got uh, Samir Doherty. These are these are really, really good players. And that's not to say Florida doesn't have players that can stand up to them. But I imagine you said barometer game. People were calling this a must-win game. I don't believe in must-win games in January in college basketball because there's still so much left. Teams can become who they are in February. They, just because they lose a game in January doesn't end the season, for God's sakes. They got a really hard game a week later against Baylor, which is ranked number two in the country right now. But you're at home on national TV, 1.30 in the afternoon on a Saturday against Auburn. Yeah, you can make a statement, not just to the fans, but to yourself. And it's a great opportunity. Uh, that's the way they're going to have to look at it. But, you know, without question, they're going to have to play their best game of the year. Right now, Florida has played three quad one games. And when I say quad one, that's again, these are the that's how the uh, the, the net, uh, which is the new way that used to be the RPI, how they separate and how they uh, quantify how well you're playing against the best teams. Quad ones are the best teams. Florida's played three of those games. They've lost them all. So this is this will be for sure a quad one game that will hold up as a quad game as the season progresses. It's at home. Again, great opportunity. Take advantage of it and make a statement to yourself that it's something you can do, something to build on. Because after that game, there's they're on the road against LSU. I mentioned the Baylor game. It can be a springboard kind of thing. Having said that, they can play great at them and not win the game because Auburn is that good. Auburn's a team that can win the Southeastern Conference. It's a team that can go back to the Final Four. So, uh, um, again, I can't emphasize it enough. It's a great opportunity, and that's how Mike White's going to sell it to his players. So we did a wrap on football last week, but it, it's never too late to talk a little more football uh, because we did get the final AP poll following LSU's national championship win, which finishes one of uh, arguably the most impressive seasons in college football history. But looking at this from the Gator perspective, Scott, uh, it resulted in their highest finish in the poll in a very, very long time and another sign, again, that uptick going the right direction. It definitely is, Adam. And before I even start here, uh... You know, I watched the championship game the other night, great performance by LSU, but I've already been overwhelmed on social media in the last 24 hours by people who already claim that this LSU team is the greatest team in college football history. (laughs) (laughs) 
that's the, the that's the time we live in. But LSU is a great team. Drew Burrow had a great season, but I'm not ready to go there yet. Did we establish who won last week? The prediction. I want Chris and I, I believe, both picked LSU. Scott, you picked Clemson, correct? And I think I picked the lowest score. I think that I won. Totally, that's totally incorrect. I picked LSU 51-44. My score is obviously high. I Chris guys, picked Clemson. I picked Clemson, but I was on another radio show and picked LSU, so I was right away. <laughs> you hedged your bet. That's almost like saying you knew the Tigers were going to win the game. You hedged your bets That's well. Right. That's right. That's okay, right. Scott, we'll give we'll give you the victory. We, we I guess. owe you lunch, Adam. That's right. No, I get the wanna, victory. That's right. I want to drive down uh, Thursday. I'll take you to lunch. <laughs> so, so, for future reference, I did win this competition. I just want that stated on the record. Continue, Scott. Uh, you did, but. Uh, you know, so in terms of what LSU did, it was great. Uh, in terms of where Florida finished, uh, their best finish at number six in the AP Top 25 poll since 2009, uh, a little ahead of where they finished in Dan Mullen's uh, first season when they finished seventh. So, uh, again, as we've talked about, more uh, tangible evidence of uh, the Gators are heading in the right direction. And I tweeted this out the other day, and if Gator fans need a little bit of, uh, I don't know, hope to hang their hat on this offseason, LSU actually finished number six in the AP Top 25 last year. So the jump can't happen. So that was an LSU team that, you know, the Gators actually beat uh, in 2018 here in the Swamp, that big interception that Joe Burrow threw that Brad Stewart picked off. And a year later, you know, they're being uh, – considered as the best team in college football history. But for Florida, it, it was a good season. I mean, I don't know how you could say it any other way. The, the two blemishes were the loss at LSU. And to me, which was probably one of the most competitive games, obviously, LSU played all year. Uh, you know, the Gators had a 28-21 lead in Baton Rouge. And uh, LSU turned it on at the end with some help of an interception. But for Florida, 11-2 and two and uh, six ranking, Dan Mullen's going to take that. Well, now it is officially the offseason for college football. Uh, and that means there's a lot of moves, a lot of coaches, a lot of assistants. The carousel is spinning. Heck, Bobby Petrino got a job this week uh, at, at Missouri State, I believe, which is a, an FCS school. So my, how the, the mighty have fallen in some cases. But uh, Scott, that's just one bit of news around a lot of developments around the country. Yeah, I mean, there's always this time of year, there's some moves that surprise you. Petrino obviously surprised a lot of people. And I've heard that there's plenty of open roads out there for him to ride his motorcycle on. <laughs> but good job for him. But in terms of what's happening in Florida, Adam, you know, the coaches are actually out of the office this week. Uh, they're on that final stretch, you know, where uh, National Sign Day is coming up the first Wednesday in February. Uh, they're trying to. Uh, wrap that up with a few more players i'm going to guess six to eight players somewhere in that range could be a little a little different number depending on if there's any attrition within the program a player or two so we're still kind of waiting to see how that shakes out but that's always the emphasis this time of year and you're right adam the coaching carousel it hardly ever slows down anymore. You know, if you've been paying close attention to it this week, it's people who have connections with the Gators. Uh, you know, we all remember Luke Del Rio, who was uh, a quarterback here under Jim McElwain. And uh, obviously his father is uh, Jack Del Rio, who was recently hired as defensive coordinator with the Redskins uh, under Ron Rivera. And guess what? Luke Del Rio's got his first NFL coaching job. He's going to be an 
offensive analyst on that staff with his father and under Rivera. So uh, good for Luke, who I remember Chris writing a story about a couple of years ago, graduating here, and he was headed to Wall Street. Didn't like that, and now he's uh, now he's going to be uh, in the NFL, and he's going to be with the guy who actually spent the 2019 season here in Gainesville, a longtime NFL assistant, Ken Zampezi. Uh, Zampezi is going going to Washington to be quarterbacks coach, and he was here this year on Dan Mullen's staff as one of the uh, offensive quality control analysts. Kind of another voice in the room, off the field, behind the scenes on what the offense was doing. Those positions are constantly going to turn over every year, usually veteran coaches who maybe are in between full-time jobs. Uh, they, they, we've seen that before. Zampezi is the latest uh, with the ties to the Gators to move on. So, so it's, it's, that, it's kind of the house-cleaning season, uh, Adam. Yeah, no question about that. In terms of looking back at this past year and, and reminiscing, it, p- people love that. And we have Ahmad Black coming up in a few minutes here, and we talk about some of his uh, favorite memories, greatest moments, thinking back 10 years ago. But looking just back over the last four months for you guys, you're there for everything, every single part of this season, almost every snap, every play. Uh, I'm curious, we talked about MVPs last week, but what are the, the best moments of the year for you guys? As, as Pat Dye once said, hindsight's fifty-fifty. Um, I, you can you can look back. To me, the, the the whole season changes. We talked about this a week ago in the Kentucky game. The Gators probably don't win that road game unless Kyle Trask, the steadying hand of Kyle Trask, comes in and second half and uh, and and leads that comeback. The poise that he showed. I mean, it was it it was like he'd been there before, and we all know he'd never been there before. Those are the moments that stand out for me. But you know, destroying Florida State at home. Uh, uh, you know, fans have been waiting a long time for that. We talked about that on this podcast. Um, but those are the, the those are the things that that jump out at me, and even more so than uh, you know, running out on the field at at the Orange Bowl, which is certainly a destination uh, postseason game and what have you. But um, just the way the the season played out. Those are the things that uh, that think of first when you know I'm looking for a, a definition of of this season. Yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, it's what Chris is talking about there. They all stand out for me too. But you know, I'll start with the Miami game. This whole 150 year celebration of college football that ESPN did all year. Florida and Miami had center stage in the in the center of the state and the, on obviously national TV. Uh, that and the Gators won. It was not the prettiest game uh, that we've ever seen, but in the end, it was an important victory by Florida because Miami has, uh, you know, had their number for really most of the period that the schools just played sporadically since they had a regular robbery going. So that was a good way to start the season. Chris touched on the Kentucky game. I mean, that that was the the turning point that basically ushered in Kyle Trask era at quarterback and. Uh, kind of ushered Felipe Franks to a side roll, unfortunately. And then, you know, I remember the LSU game. I mean, the Auburn game at home is, to me, that was, I think, the electric moment for the Gators in the season. If you had to just go back and tell anybody who wants to know about the 2019 Gators, okay, go watch the Auburn game. The P. Ryan run yeah. and, the, and, the, and the crowd and what have you. Yeah, that was, that, that, you're right about that. That's going to sum up, I think, in a large part the season. You know, that was a great atmosphere at the Swamp. Uh, you know, it was a game that a lot of people, I think uh, the Gators were actually an underdog, if I recall, in that game. They were, I mean, a lot of people were giving Auburn the advantage. So you, when they won that game, you know, it kind of redefined 
the outlook on the season some. And, and then, of course, the next game they had to go to LSU, and everyone knows what that's like playing in Death Valley on a Saturday night. I remember turning to Chris in the press box there when it was halftime, 21 on. I said, man, we got us a game here because I'll be honest with you, I, I didn't know what to expect, but I, I just I, I didn't know it was going to be that kind of a game. It was back and forth. Both offenses were humming. Uh, it was fun. And then uh, Florida took the lead uh, in the second half. And, and then, of course, it wasn't their nine in the end. But it, it, it kind of showed you, okay, this team might be a little bit more than than we thought. And then they did well until the Georgia game. And I thought the Georgia game was maybe their, their worst performance of the year. And they still only lost 24-17. But they just – the start of it just got them in a hole. They got down 16-3. to The offense really had trouble moving that day. Uh, but it's very similar to the way they ended the last year. They end the season on a four-game win streak. They end the season in the top ten. And, and now, as much as the uh, expectations jumped – from Dan Mullen's first year to his second year, they're going to even jump more now because, you know, you got a veteran quarterback, Kyle Trask back. You got an experienced offensive line. You're going to lose, obviously, some key pieces, but I think they feel good enough with the pieces they have to come back that, you know, they can seriously challenge Georgia in the SEC East and and maybe more. And uh, as I mentioned earlier, you just never know. I mean, you, LSU made quite a jump this year. Uh, Florida's going to be, one of those teams at least mentioned going into 20, 2020 season as a, a team to watch out for. Maybe not quite there yet, but then again, they can change that perception pretty quick with a couple of big wins. Yeah, I think you guys hit uh, all, all the big ones. I would say maybe put an emphasis on Florida State, uh, what it meant for those players to be the first ones to get a home victory over the Seminoles in a decade, and obviously what it meant to the fans to be able to see the Gators beat the Seminoles in the swamp for the first time in a decade. That was... Uh, Probably all things considered the highlight of the year, especially since Florida did not end up getting to Atlanta. The Auburn game didn't quite have the impact FSU did just from a, a rivalry standpoint. Um, moving on to, to gymnastics, Scott, I know you, you covered that last weekend and you know an opportunity for another really, really talented team for Jenny Rowland to get started. Again, a, a dominant performance as was expected, but uh, talk about what it was like being there for the opener and, and what this team looked like. You know, those gymnastics openers, they're, they're always unique because, I mean, they, they have such a great fan base here, Adam, and uh, this is a team that I know that uh, Jenny Rowland uh, really likes. Uh, they only have one freshman loaded with sophomores and juniors, uh, but it's a team on the rise of one of the best gymnasts in the country in uh, Trinity Thomas, and all she does is go out and puts up two nine nine seven fives, and uh, she's got 10 of those now in her career, I, I remember I had a little line the other day in my story. What's this girl got to do to get a 10? I mean, <laughs> she is uh, right there on the cusp with 10 of those uh, just needing one more point uh, to put her over the top. But I have a feeling she's going to get one this year. And this, uh, they went out and really put on a solid performance uh, on all the events, uh, dominated Arkansas. And uh, it was a, a, just a good start to what they hope is going to be a season that where they get back into the uh, NCAA championships. Remember, uh, they didn't make it last year for only the second time in school history, and and that was really their motivating force all off season. And, and after the meet, you know, it didn't really hit me until Jenny Rollins started talking, you know, without really being prompted with a question. She just said, it, you know, she saw her team finally excel. It was a long off season. 
Uh, they wanted to get back out there so bad and to put last season's disappointment behind them. And they went out there and made a statement. And now it's just like they, she feels that they can just relax, do what they do, not worry about being perfect and go out and let their talent and uh, practice take over. And uh, it looked good on uh, the first night of the year. Yeah, we'll, we'll keep tracking their progress. Obviously, the, the highlights that come throughout the year, especially linked to Pink, is against Alabama this year. So uh, an exciting home schedule, and, and we'll talk more about it as they as they go along. Uh, right now, let's wrap up with our PAT, which I wanted to center around a very tumultuous week for Major League Baseball. Uh, and also, uh, maybe the worst sports week in history for the city of Houston. Uh, Atlanta may, be, uh, may finally get some relief. Houston, in a two-day span had to suffer through a blown 24-point lead in a playoff game and then immediately followed by the firing of their World Series winning manager and GM for the Astros. Um, and obviously the, the reason for that is this cheating scandal. And, you know, it's funny because when you hear the description of what they did, there's there's a fine line between what is gaining a competitive advantage and what is cheating to the degree that people are going to be, you know, be banned for a long time from the game for participating or even being aware of it. I'm curious for you guys, where do you think that line is? I mean, anything that happens that involves some kind of outside influence along the lines of technology, I mean, it's ridiculous. Banging on a drum and they got some guy out there on a, on a, in a secret camera. To me, this was Pete Rose has been kept out of the, out of the hall of fame uh, for betting on his own team. He wasn't, in any way trying to gain a competitive advantage he was trying to make money by making his team play better this is this is worse than that i think it's way worse than that and the fact that they got suspended and then houston fired them and uh took it to that next level and frankly i wouldn't have been surprised if they and i know this is this will probably never happen but can't you make the case that the their championship should be vacated yeah for um, sure a lot of people uh, are making that case yeah, and it went deeper than the managers. The managers kind of the, the players knew what was going on, so they're they're culpable as well. And this guy who uh, came out with this report to the it was to the Athletic, yeah, Mike Pierce, and and back uh, like two months ago, or whatever, who got this ball rolling. This guy, this is the whistleblower of all whistleblowers <laughs> in sports. My goodness gracious, look what he's done. And if you remember. What he did from the beginning, Adam, is say he hated how it impacted so many young players that had a chance to play in the Major League Baseball and on other te- on the other team. And they were getting shelled on the pitching mound because of cheating going on in his own team's clubhouse. And they never got that chance again. Uh, that That's pretty heroic, if you ask me. Anyway, so to, to go back to your original point, where do Where's the line? There was some cheating scandal in baseball, I want to say in the 60s or 50s, where some guy was using a telescope <laughs> in the outfield or, or something. So I, I remember we had, I had a telescope on my desk when I was like eight years old or something and would you know take a look. But I could see that being used to try to steal signs. It, a guy standing on second base, a basketball coach looking over and watching uh, his uh, uh, com- competitors over there giving signs on plays, that's all part of the game. Just like in a football game, but I mean, recently there was the film that came out of the of the Patriots filming the Bengal sidelines and getting caught by Bengal security, and they're saying, "Oh, you know, we're just getting some some tape of the of on the field." He goes, "The field's not in the picture, man." You know, cause it was all <laughs> they're they're fit. They're, they're, <laughs> they were filming the bench trying to get signed. 
that is cheating. And I don't know how Scott feels about it, but uh, you know, he's a, he's pretty old school when it comes to this stuff. I would imagine he's uh, he's going to fall into my camp on this, Scott. Well, yeah, I, I don't have any uh, sympathy whatsoever for you know the Astros or Alex Cora or the Red Sox, who is now been forced out. I mean, this is a serious violation of the integrity of the game. And, you know, what technology has done, it's sped up so fast in recent years and created a lot of just dynamics across all sports and really all walks of life that maybe haven't been written into the rule book yet. And obviously in this case, you know, if you look at the major league rule book, I mean, I don't know what it says about cameras uh, and you know what you can and can't look at during the course of a game but the Astros knew this was wrong uh it's like it's the old it's the old litmus test is okay I mean if you go into a classroom and you haven't studied for your test and the only way you know you can pass is to to kind of look at your (laughs) your, the guy's paper next to you you know studies all the time I mean it's cheating and you just it's, it's just we know when we're doing something wrong and they, they knew what they were doing was wrong, and that's why eventually it got on one guy's conscience and Mike Pierce, and he spoke out. I did hear an interesting conversation yesterday from a baseball insider, Jeff Passan. He was talking on a radio show I was listening to about this, and he said, look, everyone knew that this was going on in the game, but he had had countless conversations with players about it, and while not all of them like that it was going on no one wanted to be the bad guy no one wanted to to be the snitch and it's kind of like i mean i remember when i covered baseball back in the early 2000s i mean people were always talking about steroids like oh that guy's on it that guy's he's definitely on it but no one's going to say that on the record and that's why it took so long for the steroid controversy in major league baseball to finally come out uh, with the balco investigation it was obviously there for a decade before it ever really hit the forefront. And I, have, I don't know if this has been going on as long, but it's certainly been going on since 2017 from what I've been reading the last couple of days. So it's just uh, one of those things where I'm glad it finally uh, has come to the surface. I hope they clean up the game because bottom line is once you take away the integrity of any game, what's it really matter? You've got nothing. Yeah, a very serious scandal, no question, and it's good to see for once people are actually paying for it as severely as possible with uh, with firings, with bans, and uh, by the time people hear this, I'm not sure what this story will be for Alex Cora, but there's some people that believe he may get a lifetime ban for this, so we'll have to uh, we'll have to wait and see. But uh, in the meantime, big games coming up this week, especially for Gator basketball. Make sure to follow Chris for all that coverage against Auburn on Saturday afternoon at Gators Chris on Twitter and all of his content, of course, on FloridaGators.com. And uh, gentlemen, we will talk to you next week. Thank you, Adam. Thank you, Adam. If you've listened to any interview with Dan Mullen over the course of the last two years, you're likely to have heard the Gator standard mentioned at least once, and maybe even a few times. But who established the standard, and what does it truly mean? There are a number of tangible examples from the program in the late aughts, with All-American safety Ahmad Black fitting the bill quite well. Believe it or not, it's been 10 years since Black was setting records in the swamp before moving on to the NFL. So as we celebrate our 200th episode, we wanted to visit with a former star to reflect back and find out where he's at today, but began by getting his thoughts on the current state of the program under his former coach. We, we progressed a lot, you know, and it's all about progression. 
it's all about, you know, uh, you know, being better than you were before. Um, and that's what the Gators have been doing. Um, but when we talk about our Gator standard, let's not get below our standards. All right. Because one of the standards that we talk about is getting to Atlanta. And we were not able to accomplish that this year, although we had a very successful season. So um, I don't take anything from that team. That team's awesome. You know, and, I, and, I, and I'm so glad to be a part um, of the Gator alumni to get to cheer them on every week, uh, week in and week out. I'm so proud of them. But and part of that standard, you know, yes, we did make it to New Year's Six back to back years. But we got to get to Atlanta. When Coach Moen talks about the Gator standard, how much of that do you remember in terms of the principles that were established back when you were in the program with him and Coach Meyer the first time around? It's very similar. Um, they, they run a, a very tight ship, um, and that's you know that's what I, from what I remember. And I just remember you know uh, you know uh, Meyer telling us that his plan was infallible. All right, and infallible means that it can't fail. And I think Coach Mullen and that staff has has an infallible plan that if we do everything we're we're coached up to do that week. And we prepare um, well that week. I know they have a great game plan for us to, to, to prepare each week. Um, I know I know for a fact that our plans are infallible because we have you know one of the one of the best, if not greatest, coaching staffs in in NCAA football right now, um, and we, we got a great talented group of players. So um, we have some of the same similar core values as the guys do now. Um, so ultimately, you know, only thing that's left is uh, for these guys to to, to get to Atlanta and, uh, and ultimately final four. I want to talk more about what you're seeing from the Gators now in a little bit. But right now, I want to step back a little bit and, and talk about you and, and sort of your backstory. Um, can you tell us first just about growing up in Lakeland and, and your life and your family down there from an early age? Growing up in Lakeland, man, it was it was a little bit different. You know, uh, I was the only child all the way up till I was 11. So with my mom and dad, my dad had kids uh, before my, him and my mom got married. So I have some step uh, siblings. But, you know, in my household, I was the only kid. All the time I was 11 years old, so that was pretty cool. Um, I always wanted a brother or sister, and I finally got one. Um, he was just too young to play with when I, <laughs> when, I got, when I got older, you know. So um, around the time when I, you know, came to college, my brother was, you know, roughly about eight or nine years old, you know. So um, you know, growing up was cool. Um, I had a lot of talented friends in, in the neighborhood. Um, There's a lot of talented guys that came from um, the city of Lakeland, uh, where I'm from. Um, a lot of guys who who went to different schools and. Um, had different dreams and, and played different different sports as well. You know, uh, I was a three-star uh, athlete growing up. I played football, basketball, and baseball. Wow. Um, I played one yeah one year of soccer once, and uh, that was the year before I, I could play football. But, um, you know, growing up, I tell the story all the time. Uh, I actually played football a little before I was I was supposed to. I'm not sure if I was supposed to tell this story, but <laughs> <laughs> so I remember I was like six years old, and I actually was born in Orlando. Um, okay. I moved to Lakeland when I was seven. So, you know, when people say where I'm from, I say Lakeland because I only did kindergarten and half a first in Orlando and I moved. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I was in Orlando. I was at summer camp and this guy came in and sat all the summer camp kids down. And he was like, hey, you know, uh, we need some some cheerleaders and we need some football players for our team. And I'm like, yes, you know, I want to play. And, you know, it sounds so cool. <laughs> you know, my dad used to always take me out to Little League practices and games on Saturday, even when I was too small to play. So coincidentally, my dad was picking me up as the coaches were, were leaving. And I was like, hey, dad, you know, I want to play. I want to play football. And my dad was like, all right, play football. What do you mean? Just, you know, I, I play in the neighborhood and I was always the smallest kid out there. Uh, go figure. I was the smallest kid on the Gators, too. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. So, um, you know, I was like, all right, cool. You know, I want, I want to play on that team. So my dad, you know, as we were walking out the door, he went up to the guy and was like, hey, you know, um, my son, you know, uh, wants to play football. We're interested in putting him on your team. And my dad was like, what's the age require, uh, requirement? And the guy said, you know, you got to be seven. Only problem is I was six at the time. 
So my dad looks down at me and he goes, yeah, he's seven. <laughs> like, okay. all, right, all right, whatever, you know. So, um, you know, every day for that whole year, um, on the way to practice, my dad, you know, would, would kindly remind me, you're seven. So when they ask you, you tell them you're seven. Right. And I got, as I got a little bit older, my mom said he messed with my birth certificate and all that, but, <laughs> you know, whatever. <laughs> so maybe that has something to do with when I got older and looking on the internet and they said I was born in 89 and I was really born in 88, but right. whatever. Well, I was born in 88, so that works better for the purposes of this. Yeah, I was born in 88 too as well. So, you know, when they put 89 on it, I'm, I'm glad for that. So I, I wasn't <laughs> Looking at when you came through high school, you were part of that that pipeline of just incredible players that came out of Lakeland all at the same time. Chris Rainey, the Pouncey Twins, there's probably other guys I'm forgetting. What was that dynamic like having such a talented group of guys that are all the same age? And how did you all end up going to Florida together? It, it was just amazing. We went undefeated. Um, I, I went 30 and 0 at Lakeland. I never lost a game. Wow. Number one in the nation twice back to back. But it was just so easy just, you know, playing with those guys because we had threats all over the field. Like when you kick the ball off, nobody want to kick the ball to rain. Right. All right. Well, let's just kick it to the guy, other guy that's committed to Florida or the other guy that's committed to Alabama. <laughs> yeah. So you, now you see. Not a lot of good options. Yeah, there you go. Or how about this? How about we? this is what we start doing. How about we kick it to the to the other Florida guy or the Alabama guy so they kick us the ball and then we we we'll toss it to Rainey. Yeah. Either way, he gonna touch the ball. I I think I block better than Rainey, so let me just get Rainey the ball and go block for him. Right. Right. It was just, it was extremely easy, and you know we had a couple games here and there where you know it, it got tough for us, but um you know ultimately you know we uh we we had guys on our team that, that stuck together, and um you know my cousin uh um from Orlando came and, and, and transferred over uh, the next year of our senior year. And, um, you know, we, we were setting in and, uh, you know, we, we all ended up, you know, trying to go to Florida. Um, Castle told us, you know, from jump, he was like, hey, you know, in order to win our third state championship in a row, you know, we have to be focused and, and be attentive to what we got going on. Uh, one of the things that I want you guys to do is uh, kind of somewhat, uh, you know, pick your colleges early if you could. So we won't have, you know, all of that going on and on. And we were like, all right, cool. So all of us decided to pick our colleges early. Rainey decided first. Uh, Pouncey was at Florida State and, uh, you know, I, I, I committed next to Florida and Pouncey decommitted and then we just all made it our goal to, to go to be together. I mean, you came in with this incredible class and then, of course, I mean, the number of, of incredibly talented players around you is just stunning when you look at that period of, of Gator football. Um, one of those guys I'm sure you get asked about a lot is Tim Tebow. Um, I'm curious, from from where you sat, being on the defensive side and sort of having your own little role as a leader on that side of the ball, what did he do to galvanize the team? What made him such an effective leader for the team? Well, the thing about it is, you know, he was our quarterback. So, of course, you know, usually nine times out of 10, ten the quarterback's the, the leader on the team. But you got to understand, like, yes, he was our, our quarterback and our leader, you know, one of them, you know, and that's what people don't realize, you know. Yes, you know, he was our quarterback, like I said, and we give him a lot of props. We want to hide him, but when we get together as a team, it was not too many times where Tebow just robbed up the team. Mm -hmm. That wasn't his job, you know, and people thought that, but that was Spike's job. Spike's did that. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and yeah, national championship, he did that, but that was one of the few times where he just really just, because, you know, we, we was all in our own little world with the defense and the offense, you know, right. we, we all came together ultimately, but it was not too many times where Tebow just got the offense and the defense is like, hey, you know, we need to, you know, because you know, we, we had a bunch of leaders on our you know, on our defense, you know, and it was a bunch on offense as well. So um, I think that's what made us so great is we had leaders all the way across the board. And at any given time, whether it be our quarterback, whether it be our middle linebacker, whether it be our center, you know, whether it be one, you know, Percy Harvin or, you know, whoever, Murph, whoever, whoever decided to speak that day, we all was all ears because ultimately we had the same common goal. You know, uh, you know, just getting goosebumps, just thinking about that, you know, mm -hmm. just going into that 08 season, that off season was just 
worst I've ever had been a part of. It was so hard. Like I'm leaving the gym now. I want to throw up. Just think about it. Because it was so, <laughs> I mean, it was awful, you know, and, you know, everybody was like, hey, man, if we don't win this year, we don't know what it takes because, you know, we had, a, you know, every time we would do anything, you know, we would have a highlight tape. And that's what that's what, what, what Urban was, was good for. He would have a highlight tape or some type of film to show us. And, you know, I don't want to say highlight because sometimes it wasn't a highlight. It was Georgia's highlights. I remember, sure. I remember, you know, that year, I think Tebow got sacked like six times. And Georgia beat us and Marino rushed for like 180 or something like that. And like, we just, you know, watch, you know, Tebow get sacked over and over and over. And that, that, after a while, man, you see our quarterback getting off the ground and they dancing and all that, you know, it, it makes you feel some type of way. So, uh, we all put a chip on our shoulder. And, uh, I think that whole, that whole national championship year, um, all the DBs got together at one point and said, Hey, look, we're going to hold each other accountable. We're going to, we're going to do everything with each other and together. And we came together and we was the best secondary in the country. And we worked out every single workout at, at 6 a.m. together. So, uh, you know, that that year was, was, was something special. That team was, was super special. And uh, at, at a go down is one of the best teams in, in Florida history. Yeah. Looking at the guys that were there with you, there's just so much talent over the place. I'm curious on the offensive side. I always like to ask the guys today. You know, which player they have the hardest time defending? And, and you had, I mean, gosh, you had a lot of guys who would probably give you nightmares. Which guys do you remember just going up against in practice for you? Like, I, I do not want to deal with this right now. Percy Harvard. He was, I mean, he, he was as good as he looked on TV. That guy can beat you, you know, you know, running past you, running through you, running, running around you. Um, many different ways that he can score or, or, or get close to scoring and, and uh, making big plays. So, um, you know, he was just a matchup nightmare. Um, we, we couldn't do anything with him. You know, everyone has games or moments they talk about, and you've mentioned a few of them that really stand out you know, vividly. Which games you think about or plays do you think about where you're like, oh, man, that, that, was, that was something I'll always remember I always go back and think about? Uh, national Championship, for sure. I, I remember uh, 09 when we played against uh, Florida State. That was Spike's last game. That was Tebow's last game. Um, you know, all the seniors that came in and, and, and you know, kind of set that standard. Um, that was one of the classes that came in, you know, with all due respect to the other guys that came in before that, um, those are the guys who actually set that winning standard back to where it was when they set it in 96. So, um, we just had to get back to that. Um, let's see who else. The, the LSU game. Oh my God. I forgot about that one. I'm yeah. Different. We just lost to those guys year before. It was, it was tough. Um, you know, we went to their stadium and we had that game. We were up 14 and a fourth, I think. And I think Tebow threw a pass to Keystone Moore, hit his helmet. They picked it off. Boom, they got back in the game and, you know, ultimately won the game. Um, but that, but the next year, you know, in 08 when we played LSU, it was just, I mean, it was crazy in the swamp. I mean, loud. It was fans were into it. We were into it. And that, you know, third play of the game with Percy, you know, t- got the tip pass mm-hmm. and ran it in the court. That time, it might have been louder than when we played Miami in the swamp. Wow. That night was crazy, too, that Miami game. I mean, I couldn't hear nothing. Yeah, it was, it was extremely loud that night. Hmm. Outside of the, the games, when you think about off the field, what are what are some memories you have, stories, uh, a prank you guys pulled, some some of the stuff that fans never get to see but that really shapes your experience? You just had to see the guys when we were just around each other. And we went to school at a time where it wasn't no social media and stuff. So it was, right. it was different. We didn't, we didn't have to worry about stuff getting on Snapchat or Instagram or anything like that. You sure. Know? Um, we just started getting picture messaging when we got in college. So. Uh, you know, I'm not that old, but I'm a little bit old. You know? <laughs> You're just old enough to know what the snake game is on a Nokia phone. Well, I, I just told my daughter about that. She was like, wait, what? Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> um, so, you know, just us being around each other and camaraderie. Uh, I remember this one time, a few times, 
we used to always go in the locker room and just it was like offense versus defense. Everybody like you know like play fighting, brawling. It wasn't it wasn't a rush to you know get out of the locker room and just go home or whatever the case may be. We just you know wanted to spend time with each other. Um, Urban was a good, uh, 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 advocate of living in a moment. So we try to just live in a moment a lot and, you know, focus on what we had in front of us. And, uh, you know, he told us this four years ago by fast and, you know, you don't understand until they're gone, you know? So, mm-hmm. you know, we just try to soak that in and, uh, get the valuable time, you know, with each other as, as we could. Who was the goofiest guy back in the day? Who was the guy that everybody knew this was the guy who could kind of take the tension out or, or, you know, if you needed, if you needed something like that, he could sort of come in and, and make everything funnier. Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, what year? <laughs> I can give you a five on each team. It was crazy. Uh, I remember Mon Williams. He was super funny. You know, he passed away, you know. Um, uh, mm-hmm. Williams. Um, we had, uh, Chevy Walker. Oh, yeah. You know, uh, Chris Rainey. I mean, D Finley. I mean, it, it, it could go down the line. I mean, we had a bunch of guys, that, you know, and I, and I think that's what enhanced our, our time because, you know, <clears throat> we had fun and we ran and we worked hard and, you know, we lift weights and, you know, we, we didn't, we didn't take anything too serious and, you know, just have fun. So, um, in the meantime, we were kicking butt and, uh, taking names. So. That's right. Which Gator teammates do you still keep in touch with today? And, and what are those relationships like? Um, it's a bunch actually. Um, I think the, the one I'm closest with probably is probably major because we played the same position. You know, we kind of had like similar personalities. Um, we both want to bring the pain and have fun at, at the same time. Um, both energetic guys, but, you know, I, I mean, the list goes on, man. I, I talk to, you know, Tebow, man. Tebow texts periodically, uh, Pouncey periodically, Chris Rainey a lot, Bostic. Um, like I said, I, I have a, a podcast as well. So I get um, a lot of these guys on my podcast. Um, and one of the things that I like to do is uh, get these guys to talk about uh, their experience as a Gator and, you know, what made them become a Gator. Um, but ultimately, we, we're going to talk about things that, like you said, fans don't know about, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and, and get to learn to play outside of the helmet. So a bunch of these these cats that I, I speak with um, that I bring on the show still and whatnot to keep in contact with, um, they're great guys. I, I mean, that team was filled with great guys. Um, I just I just wish that, you know, everybody had the opportunity to to get to know these guys like I did, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, I think I'm, I'm, I'm uh, forever you know grateful that I got an opportunity um, to play with the, 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 the group of guys that I did. Uh, so amazing and you know i think the best thing about all of that is that all of us now are, are are really adults now um we have our own families um for the most part and we get our families together um and nothing it, it can beat that feeling you know and when i get my kids and you know uh you know my other teammates get their kids and we're all hanging out or talk about each other's families and whatnot that's the best part you know and uh, we get to reminisce on all the football that we played and it, it, it sucks that you know we don't get another opportunity to just go one more time, shop it up together. But right. ultimately, we've got memories that no one can take from us. Hmm. Your football career obviously went on from Florida, and uh, you had a chance to play at the next level. So I'm curious, what can you tell us about your experience playing for the Bucks, getting drafted by essentially your hometown team, and, and living <laughs> that dream that you know pretty much every kid has of playing in the NFL? Well, what a lot of people don't know is I- I've been a Bucks fan for, I mean, since they were orange and white. and Way back. Yeah, back when Rhett played and... Uh, you know, Hardy Nickerson and, you know, all those guys. Um, my mom's sister, my aunt, actually was a Buccaneer cheerleader. Huh. Uh, yeah. So she was a swashbuckler. That's what they called it. <laughs> um, but I love the Bucs, you know, from, since way back. I mean, we won a Super Bowl. I, I mean, we beat Philly that year in the, in, the, uh, in, the, in the conference championship. And I remember running all the way down to the end of my street, just freaking screaming and jumping up and down. And, 
uh, having a grand old time and, you know, them guys winning the Super Bowl and, and I was out at Tampa waiting for them when they got back. Um, you know, that, that was, that was a time. And, uh, you know, when it was time for me to get drafted and whatnot, you know, I, I don't like pulling my own, you know, to my own horn, but, you know, if you look at my numbers, my name wasn't as big as some of the players that I played with. And that kind of hurt me as well. Um, plus with my size and whatnot, I always got counted out because I was small, because I was this, because I was that, you know, and then I had other guys on my team who, who could just show up and they're like, Oh my God, you know? So I, you know, I had to work a little bit harder than, um, but I don't, you know, I don't take, you know, I, people can't control how they, how much pub and stuff they get, you know, mm-hmm. I don't, I don't take that out on anyone. You know, I love my teammates more than anything, you know? So, you know, I just, I just feel like I didn't get the pub like everyone else, you know, did. And when coming out of college, you know, being a three-year starter, I led the nation and in, in the nation and in interceptions once I led the sec twice, almost 300 tackles. I was supposed to be first all time in interceptions. I got two of them called back. Well, I was, I was two away from the, Oh man. <laughs> yeah. I got, I got a, one in Arkansas called back and I got a pick six against Mullen in 09 called back. So, I mean, but I don't, I don't care about that, bro. You know, mm-hmm. I, I care about, I care about um, the relationships I, I got with my teammates. Um, I care about, um, having the opportunity to, to put on the orange and blue and, and get, and being able to sweat in it and <laughs> be mm-hmm. able to have my blood, sweat and tears in it. Um, that's what I, that's what I play for. Um, you know, when I went to the NFL, that's what it stands for. Not for long, man. And, um, <laughs> you know, I was already told I wasn't going to play high school. When I so I was told I was too, by my own coach, I was too small to play in, in, uh, in college. Urban told me that. Then I went to the NFL and oh, I never get drafted. I'm too small. Well, I got drafted fifth round, which is complete horse crap, but <laughs> <laughs> let that stay where it is. But right. you know, it's a bunch of guys that got drafted before me who had nowhere near the career I had. Um, and you know, that, that's how it works. You know, right. um, I think I got, I got, you know, put aside because, you know, I, I hear it all the time when, when people, you know, talk crap to me on social media and whatnot. I, I'm people tell me all kinds of stuff. Well, you only paid three years or you only did that. Or you only like easy, you know, right. because my whole rookie year I was hurt. Uh, I don't, I didn't play to my last four games. I had hurt my ankle. I had a severe ankle sprain. All right. Came back, played all of 2013 or 20, 2012. And then a little bit 13 before I got released. But in like one season, I have like, and I didn't start by the way, like fifty tackles or something like that, and like three picks. I, I have more picks than I started. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm like, all right, like you know. So um, it took a while for me to understand that you know everything happens for a reason. Um, mm-hmm. I was released from Tampa. Um, it was it was a great, great, great opportunity. Um, you got to understand, they won a Super Bowl, the only Super Bowl ever in team history, and they let go that whole team. You don't think they'll let me go? They don't have a problem with let me go. You right. know, so. Um, I just think it's cool. I, I got an opportunity to watch Rondé Barber get drafted and play, and then I played two years with him. And that's one of my all-time favorite players, you know, to ever play with. Um, you know, not because you know he he you know he was super good, but he worked hard, and you know he uh, he did everything by the books. He did everything the right way. I was grateful to be able to walk around and shadow him for for two years. So that was cool. I got an opportunity to put away a, a, a huge savings and, and mm-hmm. have a savings for my family and whatnot, and. You know, that's that's all, you know, all it boils down to is, you know, how can you be able to provide for your family once you're done with school? And uh, I was able to do that. When did you realize that it was time for you to step away? And, and how did you know what the next phase was going to be for you? Well, it was just so hard just when I got cut. Um, I got like two or three tryouts afterwards. But you got to remember, I'm not big. I'm not fast. At a tryout, that's exactly what they want you to do. Get off the bus and look mean and vicious and big and strong. Want you to, they want to see you run fast, and I can't do that. I can't provide you with that. 
Mm-hmm. And what I can't do is, is, is learn your scheme, be very smart at what I do, and show some great athleticism. Because you got to understand, with all my numbers at the combine, I think I was top three in every category except the 40, literally. Wow. So, yeah, I did like 20 or 19, 225 reps or something crazy like that. I know office alignment didn't even do 20 reps. You know, you see what I'm <laughs> so, you know, but, you know, at the end of the day, you know, what I got out of the whole experience is I got to do something that that old three percent of people get to do. Play professional football, um, you know, in the National Football League. On top of that, uh, play long enough where I can get a pension. On top of that, hmm. play long enough to be vested. So I'm just blessed to get what I got. So. How did you decide what to do next? I mean, football is out of the way. Football was out of the way. So now I'm sitting home and I, I kind of didn't know what I wanted to do. You know, it was like a, hmm, you know, I've been playing football all my life. And I think that's what happens with society. We, we get these these kids to, to think that, you know, once they're done with sports, they have nothing. And I was one of those kids that felt that type that, that way, you know, and I knew in reality, <laughs> I had a bunch that I could bring to the game and to bring to, to kids and to the community. Um, but you know, deep down inside, I, I just always thought I was, I was, I belonged on the field and, and that was my calling, you know, and I, I didn't know, you know, that God had a different plan for me, you know, and, uh, it, it took some years and I'm just like trying to figure out what I want to do. And, you know, I was here and here and here. And then, um, you know, I got a great opportunity from Michael Landon, their staff and, uh, coach Rump texted me. He actually wrote me on Twitter. He said, Hey, um, I got an opportunity for you. How much school do you have left? And I was like, uh, I got a little bit left, but what's up? And he's like, well, that, I'm going to tell you right now, that didn't dawn as one of the next options for me to do is to go back to school. I can just tell you that. Right. I'm sure it wasn't. <laughs> I didn't finish my degree. So I'm like, ah, you know, I get it, whatever, whatever. And he was like, well, we got a plan for you to finish school and on top of that, help us coach. So I'm like, cool. Like, that's dope. Heck yeah, I want to do that. You yeah. know what I'm saying? All right. So boom, after that, I come up here and enroll back in school. I'm like, all right, you know, I'm back in school. It's going to be a little bit different um, and, 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 and also uh, help McElwain and their staff um, with coaching a little bit um, in that 2017 season. Um, we all know how that went down. You know, we had a, a couple suspensions and whatnot. And, you know, unfortunately, that that uh, coaching staff was was let go. But, you know, uh, obviously, they let me finish school. So um, I stayed in school, finished school. I finished up my degree. So, um, you know, you know, after that, I'm like, all right, now what? You know, right. Um, my wife's a teacher, so um, I'm like, all right, well, you know, I got my four-year degree. Let me just be a substitute for, for right now. And I, and I was like, all right. So, I, I, you know, I hear my wife come home and talk about, you know, the kids all the time. And, you know, I, I could do that. And I'm, I'm like, man, it, it shouldn't be nothing, but it's something. So <laughs> those kids are a piece of work, man. I will tell you that. Um, but, you know, I just love the opportunity. Um, again, you know. As people all all the time always want to poke and jab. Like, You're a substitute teacher. Uh, the first week I was there, um, I had a, such a I built a, such a rapport with the kids. Uh, you know, they offered me to stay, you know, full time. So I'm like, all right, you know. But uh, yeah, I did that, and now I'm working um, in Gainesville now at a at a company uh, called Express. You know, um, and it fits hand in hand of what I uh, want to do, and that, and that's ultimately help people. Um, and I help people, you know, find jobs. I help, you know businesses find quality people for their open positions um so you know my daily job is to you know go into these different uh jobs or organizations speaking with the you know the manager the general manager the president or whoever the, is over there hiring and uh basically you know just try to see what we can do as far as assisting them with their with their next hire well and you know being part of gator nation in more ways than one having that degree i mean what has that done for you outside of football being able to say that you went to the university of florida and basically everything that that's given you 
Well, just it sucked at first because, and this was before I graduated. Remember, just little things like my dad would get me a Gator alumni thing for my tag on the car, and just, I didn't even feel comfortable just riding around with that. I know for a fact that I'm not, you know, I didn't graduate. So, right. You know, I always had my wife in my corner, just you know, helping me out the whole time. Just, um, you know, always being positive and, uh, you know, telling me I can do it. And, you know, also ultimately, you know, seeing her degree on our wall, I kind of wanted to go get mine. So, um, you know, it was tough. I'm not even gonna lie. I'm not gonna act like it was, it was some, you know, cakewalk. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm 30 years old trying to freaking do statistics. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, besides that, you know, it, it, statistics is something I couldn't do at 20. So I know I couldn't do it at 30. But, <laughs> Um, I somehow got it done. So you got your stats down, though. You got those. Yeah, I got my stats down. <laughs> if they need anything about my stats, that's right. Anybody else on our team, I got their stats. But that's right. That's about as far as it could go. Um, couple of final things for you. You mentioned your wife, your daughter. Tell us about your family today, and and what the future looks like for the the current Black family. We currently are expecting a mod Black Junior. Oh wow! Congratulations. Um, thank you. On March fourth, we have an eight year old. She's um, at Sun Country um, Gymnastics right now. So she just got done doing her first year um, over there. Um, I'm trying to figure out where she got her athleticism from. But anyway, uh, <laughs> she's super smart. So she, she has me and her mom, you know, together. And um, like I said, her mom's been a teacher um, for five years now at, in first grade and uh, a UF grad. So um, we, we've uh, made our living up here in Gainesville for the, for the time being and uh, uh, no complaints. Mm-hmm. Um, I just love being around the Gator Nation and, uh, it's not just a, a college town. It's, it's other things here, um, especially for kids. So um, we kind of like made our home here right now. You know, I'm from Lakeland, which is, you know, hour and a half from, from here. Um, my wife's from St. Pete. You know, her parents are, you know, there. So it's about two hours. So we're not too close to the in-laws, but. Um, just close enough, we, right? Nah, we're just close enough. So we're perfect. You know? That's right. Yeah. So we, we make a weekend out of it, you know, here and there and, uh, and go see them and whatnot. How much thought have you given to the future Ahmad Black Jr. playing football? Is that something you've thought about? Uh, of course. You know, his mom was over there looking at me now, smiling with a big old tummy. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, we, we definitely uh, thought about it. I just got he got to make his own legacy now. You know, I'm gonna show him that his name's everywhere in that stadium. But you gotta, you know, you gotta make you gotta make your own legacy now. So I'm sure he'll do that. I know we, we're very excited to to have him here. Um, I know his, his big sister is gonna be excited for him as well. So, um, you know, like I said, another time where we got to live in the moment, let them uh, grow up and, and, and be the best they can be and uh, ultimately uh, have them taking care of us one day. That's right. You talked, Joey, about some of your, uh, your your Twitter battles. I'm curious, you seem to have a lot of fun doing that, especially this this latest thing with Danny Cannell. How much do you enjoy getting into these things on social media? Because it seems like you get a real kick out of it. It's so funny because when people don't know, I do this every offseason. <laughs> <laughs> last offseason it was with Miami and Tate Martell and all those guys and that's what Miami fan base all lied the whole offseason saying how good they were going to be um, Florida State fan base lied said how good they were going to be so I'm um, just over lying alright and, and I teach my daughter not to lie alright right. so I, I'm teaching her at a young age so when she's not 30 years old like some of these uh, Twitter trolls lying about how good their team going to be this year um, I, <laughs> I just like to have fun you know and when, and when, I, when I press send I'm dying laughing. And it's, and it's so funny because at, at first, you know, even like Major and like my wife and stuff, they're like, why are you arguing with those people? Uh, right. I'm like, I'm like, just let me do this, all right? Cause, <laughs> you know, and that's my little persona. But like now, it's so funny because people text my wife and like, your husband's so crazy on Twitter. And she's like, babe, what did you say? <laughs> I'm like, what? 
Yeah, so I, I you know, I enjoy it. It's just I always pick to poke at people sometimes, but you know, ultimately it's it's in fun, you know. It's no games um, you know, anymore until until next season. So um we gotta we gotta have something to get us through the off season. That's right. That's right. And you told us earlier about you know, on your podcast trying to help people know more about the the person outside the helmet, I believe is how you put it. Um, yeah. when, when you're not trolling people on Twitter and, you know, trying to help people career wise, what are some of the things you and your wife enjoy doing when you have free time and you just do things for fun? You know, my wife's like my best friend. So uh, we went to 43rd Street Deli. Um, we just like to, you know, be with each other. Um, you know, uh, like I said, we, we go see our, our in-laws, um, here and now and, and then, and, uh, you know, we just, we, we go down there and, and, you know, the smallest things excite us, you know, and it's just, um, as we get older, it's not too much that, that needs to go on for us to be excited, you know, mm-hmm. and we, we can sit back and watch the ID channel or sit back and watch, um, you know, these, these crime shows that we just love to watch and live PD and A&E and all that. So, um, but besides that, just, uh, letting the daughter, you know, go to trampoline parks and whatnot, hundred backflips in a row. Wow. But you know, <laughs> you got those, uh, those, those good genetics. Yeah. She must got them from mom. <laughs> that, that, that's knees don't work the same anymore. That's right. That's right. Um, well, Ahmad, listen, thank you so much for your time. I know fans love hearing from former Gators, especially greats like yourself. So uh, sure. congratulations on uh, Ahmad Black Jr. here very soon, and, and we look forward to seeing your family continue to grow and flourish. All righty, man. Thank you so much, and go Gators. And that's going to do it for this week's show. If you haven't already done so, be sure to subscribe to Gator Tales in the podcast app of your choice, and please leave a review to help us continue to grow. Be sure to visit FloridaGators.com for all the latest news on the orange and blue, including scores, schedules, and more. Then come back next week for an all-new episode. Until then, I'm Adam Schick, and I'll see you in Gainesville.